0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. Um, it's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners, and back once again is my uh, renegade master but partner in crime. I've already used that, haven't I? I probably shouldn't use that intro, but I like it. So, Emma Leonis, our exec director for HR transformation. Emma, you right? I'm
1: good, thank you, Chris. But I think we need a little bit of a theme tune. That can that be our.
0: Could be yeah. it. That could be it. I won't overlay the uh, for copyright infringement rules. I won't overlay it. Um, and we've got a guest with us from Philip Morris International, Andrew Hall. Andrew, how are you doing, sir?
2: Good afternoon, Chris. Good to talk to you both.
0: It's lovely to have you on. We're going to talk because you were a panellist at the uh, four-hour white paper, which we launched in November 2020, which was around uh, HR shared services. It was the future of HR shared services, becoming people experience and solutions experts. But what we wanted to do today was focus just on one particular chapter, do a little bit of a deep dive on one particular chapter. So we're looking at chapter four, uh, within the white paper itself, which is around service enablement, the chapter called service enablement: continuously improving the digital experience. And just as a, just before we actually delve into that chapter, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your role, Andrew at PMI, and um, what you guys do, just for those who, those listeners who
2: aren't aware. Of course, an experience is definitely the buzzword at the moment because uh, I'm actually the head of service experience here at, at Philip Morris, and so. Uh, within my exciting remit, I, I not only look after kind of the traditional uh, service management components, but I also look after our service technology. Um, so looking at how we provide not only the case management, but also the channel management out to, to our employees. So uh, lots going on in that space at the moment. And uh, this this topic is one that's particularly close to my heart. Mm.
0: And I'll tell you what, let's kick off with the first question then, which I wanted to ask you. And it relates to actually in the chapter, we have a lovely graphic which talks about the types of service delivery technology that, you know, we ask a question, what type of service delivery technology do you use in HR? We uh, The responses that we got, 92% said reporting analytics, 88% said knowledge management. 88% also said file document and file management, 84% on portal or tier zero. We had 80% on case management, 80, 30% on RPA, and 28% on AI, including chatbot bots. From your perspective, I guess there's two questions I have here. Number one is, was there anything that surprised you from that particular response? And was there anything that resonated from a PMI perspective?
2: So I might be giving my age away here, uh, Chris, but (laughs) I was maybe a little bit surprised about portal and tier zero only only being 84%. For as as long as I can remember being involved in kind of uh, HR transformations or, or digital transformations, we've been talking about kind of portal and tier zero for the last 15, 16 years. And so I'm intrigued to know what the 16% of organizations that don't have portal or tier zero are doing from a, a channel management perspective. Maybe that was uh, one of the first ones that, that jumped out. Second one was was maybe around case management being solo. Uh, again, given the prevalence of not not even the big uh, CRM providers out there, but I, I expected and maybe thought that uh, case management technology was a little bit more prevalent. And I know there's always good old Excel and good old access databases to manage these things on, but maybe I was a little bit surprised that 20% of companies are, are doing something else in that space.
1: I think Andrew, um, sort of what's quite interesting is. What we didn't show in that report was split of organizations that maybe used one versus all of those different channels. Um, Because to your point, you know, you've got to be doing something. Um, You can't not communicate um, with employees or line managers or even business leaders from a channel point of view. But I guess it it poses a question, you know, what is the right channel management strategy and, and Chris, you know, one of the things that we're quite passionate about is obviously that contact your way kind of discussion. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are, Andrew, particularly in your context, you know, the debates and discussions that you might be having around that at the moment.
2: Absolutely. So as as, as we, well, step back for a second, we're, we're trying to implement a, a Salesforce base for our our um, service channel management okay so we're looking at mobile we're looking at desktop we're looking at chatbot we're looking at live chat and um, we're looking at self-service all through that and to be we we have a series of assumptions about how that's going to work but until we actually get into people actually actually touching the solution it's quite difficult A recent example we've we've just implemented our salesforce platform into one of our big markets and We've we've absolutely seen the shift away from people emailing. We've absolutely seen a massive shift in terms of mobile adoption. Seventy percent of the interactions are being done through mobile, but the chatbots only coming in at about two to three percent of our interactions. And we're we're having to go back out and do a series of as user research again to say. Even though this is available on the desktop and the mobile, why why aren't you using this? Is this a a UI and a UX question in terms of where we've placed it on the portal? Is it not visible? Are you afraid of using it? Is it something that's completely new from a a channel perspective? So I think our view is as we test and pilot some of these channels out, we have to follow up quite quickly with user research to say, you know, what was it about this that really made you want, uh, want you to use it?
1: and that kind of that links to sort of the one of the things that we we've talked about before which is about continuously listening continuously learning that type of thing andrew the culture piece is a fantastic question for me it's kind of like every organization has its own unique cultures and subcultures and some parts of the business will be early adopters of you know maybe the chatbot and others just won't be so it'll be interesting to see as you start to roll that out in in other markets whether there is a different kind of perception of the channel
2: adoption what you can absolutely and one of the i think real achievements of, of of the pilot that we've done is that we've actually got the adoption metrics i know many people are using different kind of adoption platforms to help them but maybe i didn't realize quite how powerful that would be that within the first few weeks of of, of going live i've got um, numbers at, at our fingertips where we can see how people are interacting with those different channels. And actually, some of the verbatim comments that are coming back through the adoption platform as well is super helpful, both in reaffirming some of the assumptions we've made about how user-friendly is this to use, but also acting as a really good source of insight and potential future innovations that people are wanting. You know, I, I, I was I was really surprised how quickly we'd start to get that feedback on this is great but have you considered and that's been really powerful for the team
1: and sort of maybe for those um, organizations and leaders kind of listening um andrew today who maybe are thinking about how they measure success what are some of the adoption and metrics that you are looking at and that you're measuring aside from i guess volume because that tends to be one we look at but what does that look like for you
2: yeah, so we, we've thrown a quite a diverse set of measures of this and and not not seeing what will stick, but I think they're all all relevant in how we kind of take the product uh, global. So one of the first ones we're looking at is a product EMPS. So we're using our adoption platform, we're asking users when they log in, what do they think of this on a scale of one to 10 and also provide verbatim feedback. That's one really good indicator to us about, is this providing um, value to the customer, but would they recommend it to others? Second is then getting into the adoption metrics by channel. So can we, can we see which channels people are using for which transactions? And that's been really powerful in bringing to life that what's happening with mobile versus desktop. And interestingly, the EMPS score is higher through mobile than it is for desktop. So it's advocating, again, that, that people are really enjoying doing their everyday P&C tasks through mobile. I think the third one we're looking at is then starting to get into, are we are we then seeing a shift in channel mix versus where we were before we went live? So we've been very careful to try and do a, a before and after snapshot, so we can compare the transactions that are coming in and are we seeing that shift from let's say voice and email into some of those digital channels that we're really um, hoping to drive as part as part of our uh, program.
0: Yeah, and I mean. <laughs> It's, it's really interesting hearing you talking about the, the way in which you're reporting and the different analytics that you're looking at. Do you think that your peers in the industry in working within other businesses, based on the report uh, findings, are – in a similar position to you guys? Um, I'm, I guess that's kind of a leading question because I'm kind of thinking it's probably the answer is no. And do you see that changing much? I.e., do you think more businesses are going to be looking more intensely at the way in which they report, the way in which they, they deliver and the way in which they analyse and, and get involved in predictive analytics?
2: It's a great question, Chris. And it's, it goes back to a discussion that uh, Emma and I had probably about 12 months ago. Uh, when we were doing the original survey for the report I was explained to Emma that we're probably miles ahead on experience and adoption measures, but maybe not as strong on some of the traditional operational measures. Uh, and my experience from talking to some of my peers is that they're really strong at the operational measures. They know exactly how many, how much are coming through and what the, the incident and complaint view is, how many are in SLA, etc. But when you talk to them about contact your way, I think, everybody buys that as a concept but not many are at the point yet where they can measure what people want and how they're using some of those channels and I, I think that for me is is the ne- next natural evolution of, of some of these service channels is that we you have to have some of those adoption and success metrics in there otherwise how, how do you know um, how people are perceiving those channels what's the feedback loop how are people telling you whether they uh, you've, just because you've got a mobile, is it actually adding any value to them? Just because you've you still retain voice of people telling you that's a good thing, and so if you if you to take this as as we've done it at Philip Morris this this product concept in this employee first model, you've kind of got to live by those principles and and have that feedback loop. And I think the analytics and insights are fundamental to that. To that, Chris.
1: And I guess Andrew, it's also having that feedback loop that's real time as well so you know you get it there and then then you can make those interventions at the right point in time versus you know the the thing that a lot of us tend to do which is we get some data and then don't act on it for quite a while and then it's out of date or it takes too long to pull uh, together for example
2: uh, <laughs> absolutely and I, i'm not going to sit here and pretend that uh, every single one of these reports is is real time i think <laughs> that's uh, a little bit of the magic that we do in the background but to to be able to look at these metrics on a daily basis emma compared to where we were two, three months ago, has been so powerful. Just as an example, to go back to the the, the PNC or, or HR head for that particular country or market and say, look what's happened since we've gone live. Um, we now need you and your team to really help advocate some of these channels, because in a particular location, we're seeing that they're not using the chatbot or we're not seeing they're using some of the digital channels. They're still reliant upon email and and voice. That's so powerful and it puts us from a service perspective on the front foot.
1: And I'm just curious, Andrew, you know, we've talked about the digital channels and the journey that you're going on to make some of the the shifts from the traditional channels to those digital channels. So moving away from email, for example, and kind of, you know, voice to chat um, and, and to online. To do that, though, I guess, requires effective partnerships with other parts of the business, as well as also within HR. And I'm just curious as to any sort of tips or, or lessons learned you might have in terms of building those effective partnerships on your journey or other journeys that organisations might be on.
2: Definitely. Look, the, the one that stood out kind of head and shoulders for us as we've gone through the, the journey over the last 12 months has been the partnership with IT. I, I've always seen the relationship with IT in many organisations as a bit adversarial. You know, maybe slightly competing priorities and com, uh, and competing views as to who controls the uh, the decisions and the narrative. I think one of the things that we've we've got right here is that we've treated the IT team and kind of the traditional HR design team as one single product team. And mm-hmm. um, as as a result, they they've had shared uh, um, vision they've had shared outlook and shared collective responsibility and we found that that has really worked because it's aligned them around a common goal it, it's brought together in a single team kind of the best of IT and the best of HR and there's been some other sprinklings in there as well I mean we've 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 brought people in from uh, user experience as an example but integrated them into that Single team. That's been a a really key learning for me. I think maybe where we'd we'd like to do even better is how does that central product or design team then engage with the markets that you're deploying this to? Okay, so we put a lot of effort on kind of co-create and create the right conditions for design. But actually, with hindsight, it's it's just as important from a deployment perspective. So when is the right time to get? The recipients of this change particularly within hr involved in that process you know what role do they play so that they feel part of what's being kind of landed within their within their teams and what ultimately they're going to have to go out and drive from a an adoption and an advocacy perspective it's something we're definitely going to build on as, as we do our global deployment
0: Mm, it's kind of about that. It's I think it's a culture question, isn't it? Because you're talking there about the unification of the IT, the HR teams, this word collaboration as well, actually feeling like a collective rather than independently working in those silos. And I think how much role how much of a role did your did your culture play in making that was that an easy process to get from those IT guys over there that are just computer saying saying no to you all the time to we're working on this project as a collective is that something that was has always been in place since you've been at PMI? Is that something that's had to evolve over time?
2: I think it's always been there in, in PMI and we're we're very lucky to have that uh, Chris. There's there's always been a very strong bond between uh, IT and our people and culture teams. That said, we've changed the ways of working. We've pushed increasingly on kind of agile, proof of concept based ways of working. And, and so they, they've had to evolve. So it's not just been a continuation of, of what they've done before, they've had to reflect and, and change some of their ways of working. But I, I, look, I, I know from experiences in other organizations that maybe that kind of collaboration isn't as easy and it's a bigger obstacle to to maybe achieve some of those outcomes and i uh, look if i had the answer to that i'd be uh, i'd be fighting off d- uh, d- job applications from from other companies but but look I, I think my key would my key advice would be try and align them around a common purpose and, and try and align them around a set of common objectives don't have HR and then IT objectives, what, what, one team, one set of objectives. I think at least that creates the foundation for them to work together. I think the culture piece comes over time.
0: And mm. um, I'm going to change tack just a little bit, just bring us back to the, uh, the chat for on service enablement. AI, it's, it's the AI question because it fascinates me. And we've talked about it being a, uh, a massive opportunity. In the white paper, we say AI remains a massive opportunity for HR. What's your view on where you guys are at from that perspective, where you think you might get to, and also, I guess, a wider industry sort of view. I'm going to leave that nice and open as a question for you.
2: So I'm I'm increasingly seeing AI as, as almost like an onion, Chris, mm. in that it's, a, it, it's an all-encompassing description, but you kind of have to keep going through layers to actually work out what it means. And I'll give you a really practical example of this. If I take... the the chatbot that we've implemented. You you hear the sales speech, and it's very much, this is an AI-enabled chatbot. The reality is, when you first deploy a chatbot, it is probably a simple Q&A chatbot, which is responding to a series of intents. If you get that right and the foundation right, you almost then get the permission to then start thinking about some of the natural language processing, and maybe some of the be able to get to some of the next recommended action but it, it's not something you achieve instantaneously okay and i see lots of other examples in some of the stuff that we've done at PMI where you kind of have to not rein in the the enthusiasm for ai but really be clear on what's its purpose and when does it start to add value and what's the foundation to get you there so that that's kind of the learning from a a pmi perspective what what i see more more broadly Again, when I speak to some of my, my peers across other companies, is is very similar. Everybody is clear that AI has a role to play in the automation of, of the function and also potentially acting as a huge enabler to drive better, more timely experiences to to our employees. I think it's about making AI a little bit more tangible in terms of where it fits into your service enablement or, in our case, service experience plans. And what are the proof points to demonstrate it's working would be would be my view.
1: and And I think maybe Andrew, just to add to that because I absolutely agree with everything that you've said and would echo that. I think there's also something around HR's own capabilities to you know know, as you've said, what to use AI for. How to then continuously improve it. Cause it's a completely different way of, of working. We talk about digital, but digital is such an such a big term that again is a bit like an onion, because there's all different layers within that too, capabilities, systems, processes. But the whole governance model and the whole data that you need to underpin AI is also, I think, potentially one of the biggest challenges that we face in the, the HR function too.
2: Absolutely. Lots of opportunity. But yeah' challenge. it's, a, it's <laughs> lots of challenge but it, but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a journey as well mm. Emma because when we started I didn't realize that my knowledge management lead and my employee experience lead would be critical to chatbot that, that piece around the capabilities that you need to make mm. this work as well I think as you start to get into this you really then start to understand what are the capabilities that you need to, to make this work and and again I think that's one of one of the key learnings that we've been through
0: cool well we are coming close towards the end of today's podcast i just wanted to ask just a quick if you can give me just a quick one minute andrew on anything exciting because we've had uh we've had anything exciting for 2021 that you can share with us from your business perspective or just where you think that we'll'll we'll all be in a in a year's time because we've had 2020 the year of doom so maybe we can maybe we, you can share with us a little bit of something you're excited about out for for the next year,
2: uh, I know twenty twenty was a year of doom, but it but I look back at it, on a, on that as a, a year of real change as well. I think mm. you know just take what we've done with the Salesforce platform. We've implemented that a hundred percent remotely. Okay. That, to me, is, is super exciting that, you know, we, we can of course, not, we, we'd like to see people face-to-face and work face-to-face, but it's proven that you can do kind of scaled, uh, agile implementation 100% remote. So that's super exciting for me. I think the most exciting thing for for me this year, particularly in, in what, what my team's going to go after, is back to the beginning of the conversation. We are now going to have a set of adoption and uh, channel mix metrics that we've never had before, almost to the level that some consumer functions have in terms of how people are interacting with with us as as a service provider. And they're giving us feedback real time in some cases on how to improve the service. The possibilities that that creates for my, my product and my design teams is super exciting because suddenly we go away from maybe the traditional we're HR and we know exactly what we're going to do with our policies, practices and technology to suddenly get this insight where we can look at it, we can analyze it, we can make a real change at pace. That for me is, is going to be a real game changer for, for us as an as a HR or people and culture service provider this year. And I'm super excited to see how we uh, meet that demand kind of head on.
0: Well, we'll be super excited to get you back and find out how you've uh, how you've got on towards the end of the year. So it'd be great to have you uh, back on later on in the year so that we can talk about how 2021's gone. Hopefully it's been a lot more exciting for everybody uh, by the time we get, we get it, it rolls around towards the Christmas that we all want to have. Andrew, it's been an absolute delight, as always, to have you on, sir. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Pleasure, as always.
0: And Ems, once again, thanks for being my co-conspirator in firing all the questions to our lovely guest.
1: No problem. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, Andrew.
0: And we will see you again next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye. -bye.